everybody welcome to the 218th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rainy rip city and they got my man sage chilling in his childhood bedroom looking uh you know what it's more decorated than my actual house so you know the ambiance behind me is a lot more busy but you know so we're i, I did the quarantine gonna spend the, the uh winter holidays with my parents and then jet right back off to Portland because it, it it's been a uh, it's been interesting living living with more than one person. It's it's it's, a, it's something I have to really get adjusted to. But uh, right now it's a uh, pretty fun. Yeah, it's definitely been uh, a strange holiday period. Um, I went out for the first time. I go out maybe like once or twice a week and it's just to the grocery store or to the frame shop or, or something. And I was like, cool. I'm going to Walgreens to get some wrapping paper, like double masked up. Like I was like, yeah, th- this, this is an outing for me. And then of course it's like, okay, get home, sanitize, shower. And then, then I can chill. But it was like, it's, it's an event now just to get into my car and, and physically leave the house. Um, you know, we, doing Christmas different this year. Uh, we're going to open presents probably over zoom with each of our family. Uh, my mom shipped us, my mom and dad shipped us, uh, our presents, got some Christmas cookies. Um, we shipped both of our, our family's Christmas presents and keeping it, you know, light and tight. Um, but th- that's it. And it's, it, it's strange, but I will say there is a sense of just like, maybe not relief, but every year when you're with your family, there's always, a layer of drama. You don't know when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen on a scale of one to 10, how significant it's going to be, but there's always a little drama. It could be, Oh, I don't like the cooking or maybe that's not exactly what I wanted. Uh, I mean, we're all used to, like you just said, we're all used to living in our own environments and our own habitats. And this year that's completely gone. Like we are just going to order takeout for Christmas Eve, probably going to get drunk, watch some Christmas movies, wake up, watch hoops on Christmas day. And then, you know what we got the Blazers basketball season is already going to be uh, underway. So we've got a lot of hoops to keep us warm and cozy for, for the holiday. So it's, it's a different holiday this year, but you know, I'm doing my best to look at it as this is what I can control. I can control how I feel about the holidays this year and I'm going to embrace it and make the most out of it. And um you know, just staying in, in constant communication. If, if, if the physical contact can't be there, it's, you know, text, it's phone call. Um, you can do video chats, but, you know, just, just being present with your, with your family and um, just keeping a positive attitude because, you know, well, let's get it kicked off. I am feeling very much, I'm channeling my inner Robin Lopez right now. I don't know if Sage is going to put this on video, but your boy's been growing out his hair since March it's wild. It's, it's big. I got my sideshow Rob t-shirt on. And if we can have any season that is reminiscent to uh, the seasons that Rolo was in Portland, I mean, you're going to take it. I think we had a 13 game win streak in one of those seasons. We made the second round of the playoffs for the first time in 14 years during one of those seasons. Robin Lopez was a huge free agent acquisition for 
the Portland Trailblazers in the summer of 2013. And Sage, we have a lot of new faces. We've done specific episodes for really each of those pieces that have uh, came to the, the Trailblazers organization. And through four preseason games, we got a little taste of what that could look like. I, I would say it's it's been in tremendously hard for me not to overreact to preseason, especially with how I felt last year uh, during preseason. You know, we we have touched on this um, anecdote for numerous occasions. Phoenix Suns came in, Aaron Baines shot the lights out. Nobody would come up to guard him. The whole team hit like 28 threes. And that was really the story of our season. We couldn't stop other teams from shooting from the perimeter. And that has kind of been the same trajectory that we've seen this year, Sage. Uh, Aside from that first game against the Kings, where maybe the players played their best game, it was the first one. I think we got the best look at our team as a unit. And that's strange to say because Rodney Hood and Nurkic didn't play. It's been difficult, too, because we've wanted to see the whole unit play together. Obviously, Zach hasn't been, been available. But you look at game one, no Hood, no Nurkic. Okay. Well, game two, they are now available, but Dame, CJ, Mello, et cetera, play about 12, 13 minutes. Um, Game three in Denver was really the the first game where everyone played a significant amount, and we lost by damn near 40 points. So that's where it's really difficult for me not to overreact. Uh, Just high level, what what were your thoughts uh, from this preseason, Sage? I think game one, it was like we hit ceiling outcomes at everything. You saw how inspired Dame and our entire defense was. They were digging on, you know, help defense. They were in passing lanes. And then games two through three, the ones that I watched, you know, they weren't really that inspired to play defense. And it kind of showed when we got our butts kicked by Denver in those two games. Game one gave us like just such hype. And, you know, there was things that you can take up from it, like Rob Rob Covington is a damn good team defender. And we we need to see more communication and more rotations from this team. But game one was just such a tease because you know that they're capable of it without two main cogs of the team. We pulled off some amazing defense. I, I would really like to think that we're more of game one versus the other th- three games. I know sample size says that might not be the case. And even in that first game, Sage, we give up 36 first quarter points to the Sacramento Kings. And through three games, I was tracking this because I, I was looking at the total of three point attempts against Portland. And I was pretty much astounded at how high they were. So for the first three games, opponents averaged 48.3 three-point attempts per game. For perspective, opponents put up 35 and a half threes per game last season. So they almost shot 50% more threes against us. Yes, I know it's preseason, but that is, is worrisome to me on a ton of levels because what, what that tells me is op- opponents view Portland's perimeter defense is as our weakness. And what I saw, and you spoke to this in terms of the communication, is we may do a good job of stopping the first dribble penetration or the second pass, but by the time any person gets gets by our defender, we may be there for that first rotation, but it's that second, third, fourth pass that we just aren't in sync yet. And they're, they're swinging the ball around the perimeter, and today's NBA is 
you know, pace and space, you know, spread and shred. And everyone's just hanging out around the arc and they're just, they're hoisting at will. Like we gave up a lot of wide open threes and especially in, in those two Denver contests that it, it was, it was pretty ugly. And again, that's where the overreaction uh, can come in because you're seeing things that look even worse than last year. And you specifically put an emphasis on that in training camp on media day, you went out and you acquired Derek Jones Jr. And Robert Covington, two players who were supposed to shore up that perimeter rotation. And it, it just didn't come to fruition. And I don't think anybody expected Portland 10 days into training camp to become a lockdown defensive team. But I don't think it's a lot to ask for the team to show some improvement. And aside from individual efforts from Jones and Covington, specifically playing the passing lanes, Sage, I saw no improvement. And to me, that that's what, what worries me the most. It, it's tough when there's literally no practice time to instill a defense. And, you know, Terry Stotts was saying we're going to be more aggressive. Well, if you're going to be more aggressive, you got to, trust each other and know what that other person's doing and when you have no practice time how are you going to be aggressive with one uh, with your teammates so you know it, it's going to be a work in progress most teams got two game preseason games we got four and we kind of got exposed in those those other three i kind of wonder how most of the fans and the community would feel if we only played two games and game one was the same, and then game two, we kind of laid an egg. Would it be the, as worrisome? We have a better te- we have better players that can play better defense than last year. I don't think it's as worrisome, but damn it, man, I was hoping that we would we we would look better, but you know, short time and these 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 rotation players are new. Like the way that we were supposed to defend, that those those players are new. And it was odd how Terry Stotts, I think, approached this preseason as well, because in games one and games three, we played pretty significant minutes for the starters, especially Covington and Jones Jr. were in there with the second second unit. Uh game two was a throwaway, which I thought was was interesting given how we have so many new faces on the team and we are trying to gel. Uh, and then game four, Damian is the only one that doesn't play. Um, I, I No other playmakers. I think we're definitely seeing the loss of Anthony Simons with his sore hamstring. Uh, it really puts an onus on, on the team. I even noticed in the second half, or excuse me, in the second game when there was no Anthony Simons and we were using Gary Trent to initiate the offense. That's not their role. They are shooting guards. They're to score and defend, not get the offense into the spots that they need. Gary Trent doesn't know where Carmelo Anthony wants the ball. I mean, maybe off of a swing pass. So again, I really thought it was interesting how Terry approached this preseason. They have talked about all media day long, all, all off season training camp. We got to get off to a fast start. We know the West is competitive every year that Dame has been here. He has said, when we get off to a good start, we have a, we have a great season. Um, I would have thought they would have used the preseason games as extended practices. And with the way they played the minutes, I didn't see that. And now again, they are playing damn near every other day in the regular season. And they probably feel like they can learn more in a practice setting than maybe a game setting. 
and they're trying to save those legs. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here in my, my chair talking to you over zoom and say, I know more about basketball than Terry Stotts and what he did was wrong. He's got a rhyme and a reason for it. Uh, if you're going to save Damian Lillard, I mean, we know he and CJ are damn near one, two, three, four, five, uh, minutes played year after year, if you're going to need them and boy, do I think we're going to need Dame to, to carry us, especially early on. Um, then by all means, I mean, absolutely. And maybe that's just what it was. I think for me, it was just a little bit of a sour taste left in my mouth from last year, from what I saw and kind of saw the same stuff. So it definitely put me on high alert. I mean, I think we were all drinking that Rip City Kool-Aid after that first game, got Harry Giles blaming on his old team, uh, shimmying uh, down the court, uh, everyone looking fantastic. But we kind of came back to reality. Denver put Denver put us in the place. And I, I hope we realized, okay, this is what a team looks like. I think Portland top to bottom has a better team, but Denver has played together longer. The cohesion and continuity has Denver as a better team right now. And, um, and the Kings, so like what has been the major movement for the Kings besides Tyrese Halliburton? Isn't he the biggest cog in the team? You know, so they play together and, you know, I, I just Googled where does Alvin Gentry coach now? And he's the associate head coach of the Sacramento Kings. Probably when Luke Walton gets fired, he'll take over. So it's like, OK, now I see why the the Kings hoisted so many three pointers again as Alvin's there. OK, that makes sense now. You know, it it it, it is disturbing to, you know be one in three in preseason, but I would say though, I don't care about the one in three. I care about losing by 30 back-to-back nights. Um, not many teams are getting blown out. Most of the games are competitive. So that's what shocked me the most. And again, maybe they took an approach like guys, let's just get a sweat. We're not going to show anything. Um, let's just get up and down the court. We don't care. And maybe that's what it was. And you know, the coach doesn't have a, a right to tell the fans that and we have to maybe draw our own conclusions but I, I hope that you know they know the season starts on on Wednesday just like you and I do so I, I think we have to take that with caution and just be a little bit patient and believe in Dame because again I think I think Dame's gonna have to keep us above water until we start to know where DJ likes it, how Roko's going to play. I mean, Nurkic, we need to get him back in the mix as well. And Nurk has to learn how to play with Roko. Brought up, you know, they didn't want to show a lot in preseason, and that might be true, but the one thing that I felt really confident in this preseason was we might be seeing a very vanilla offense, but defensively, we're going to see them talk more. Maybe game one they were, because they looked very inspired game one. And then, for whatever reason, it wasn't there two through four. We're instilling a new defensive scheme, and I think that's great. We have the personnel to do it. But I kind of, I, I really would have preferred to see some more heart and execution in those games, because it was it was very reminiscent of when we were an embarrassment defensively. And... This is a do or die season for the Portland Trailblazers. I think for the most part, Neil O'Shea did his job. Everyone 
from fans to his critics to to pundits, Portland won the offseason. We have a good roster. The pressure is now on Terry Stotts and that coaching staff and, and on some of those players. And it's it's not only for to win, it's not only to win on the floor, but you also have to win in the front office. And what I mean by that is this team that we're watching now has the ability to completely change overnight. You're looking at, uh, they they mentioned today there or over the weekend, Zach Collins will not be getting an extension. We've already talked about Gary Trent Jr. not getting an extension. He wants to play the season out. Okay. Those are two players that are going to be restricted free agents. You've got Harry Giles and Carmelo Anthony who are on one year minimum deals. And his Cantor is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Rodney Hood has a second year that's not fully guaranteed. That's that's a team option. So that's the only contract we really control outside of the, the restricted free agencies. And Derek Jones Jr. has a player option as well. So those are a lot of key pieces that the Blazers really they, they really need to figure this out because it could be a whole different team next year. And I don't think anybody wants that. Like the reason we were so I think strong and significant was we had a lot of uh, continuity and cohesion. And unfortunately that was lost because of a lot of contracts. We had no money. Uh, the summer of 2016 kind of uh, put, put our hands behind our back. And, you know, we had to, had to watch a lot of good players go from that, that Western conference final team. Um, so I, back to your point about being embarrassed, you know, I, I was a little embarrassed because like this, this is a do or die season for our Blazers Sage. Like we, should be a home court advantage team. We should be in top four. Um, I, I I don't think thinking about the Western Conference Finals it is out of the realm of expectations or the possibilities. And fair or not, this is the best team I think that Damian Lillard has played with. And it's probably no all-stars, but there's a lot of damn good players on, on this roster. And I just feel like and I feel like this is the same conversation we had about Hassan Whiteside last year. Like, Hassan, it's your contract year. Why are we not seeing you a little bit more animated or hustling a little bit more? Like, he'd have those bursts, but then it would go back to just back to the mean, back to regular Hassan. We can't have that with the team. We can't see these bursts like we did against the Kings and then get blown out by 30 back-to-back games against the Denver Nuggets. Um, this team has to be locked in. And I know it's difficult because we're in a goddamn pandemic. Uh, we have to think about wearing our masks every time. Uh, I think it was Rodney Hood or it was Damian Lillard that was talking about on media day when they first found out the practice was canceled due to coronavirus cases. They're now going back through their mind saying, hey, did I have any interaction with any of those players? And am I going to bring that to my family and anybody I'm living with? That is a lot for a one human mind to think about. And you have to really be an asshole to think these players should only focus on basketball. They have, they have lives too. So it, it's going to be such a mental grind. And I'm thankful we have the best leader in sports, Damian Lillard, to kind of take us on this journey. But I do think we could see a, a few blowouts, maybe more than usual this year, just because Maybe maybe you're you're a player and you just found out your grandma has coronavirus or one of your co- close friends has it. Um, it. It's just such an unknown. It's the, it's never happened before in our lifetimes, and I think we as as fans as human beings need to be empathetic to that because we're going through that as well. I mean, look at yourself in the mirror when you're doing your job. There's no way you're sitting down at your computer or whatever you do and you focus for your entire shift. That, that, that doesn't happen even pre-pandemic. I mean, come on, guys. 
we're all overloaded with information and emotions. And yes, that is an outlet for them on the court, but this is still tough. There's no fans there to give you that, that emotional boost when maybe you're tired coming off of four games and five nights. This, this is going to be a trying season. And it's unfortunate. This is maybe one of our best chances that it is in this type of season, but you know, everyone's playing with, with the same deck, you know, it's up to us to see how, how we handle it. But you know, when, when we see these games and these performances, like, I do think we need to dive a little bit deeper, peel back more layers of that onion because there's more going on than what meets the eye. Mm. You saying that about, you know, players going through stuff, man, I can just already see the the negative aspects of Twitter and, you know, complaining that player A didn't do well and it cost them X, Y, and Z in their daily fantasy lineups or their yearly fantasy lineups, shit that, you know, doesn't particularly matter in the main, you know, in the world. Like, me doing well in daily fantasy only affects me. But, you know, a player's dealing with some traumatic issue relating to COVID, that that affects him and then everybody else close to him. So I, I, I hope that people will uh, give players more leniency if they don't perform well. We will touch more about preseason um we got a couple segments down down later in the in the podcast but sage before we jump into our our predictions for, for this season give me some things that stood out to you in a positive light like what stood out to you and you're like okay i'm, I'm stoked to see how this projects over the next 72 games mm-hmm. for the for the blazers uh in particular yes blazers okay um I keep I, like when I think of that preseason, I, I kind of forget about games two through four. I just saw the the enthusiasm for our, on the defensive end. Like Dame was being really aggressive. CJ Ellerby looked good. DJJ and Roko were really act. When we can lock in, I think for you know a few possessions, we're going to be clamping opposing defenses we have the players to do it so i I think i think the thing that inspired that makes me the most optimistic is game one and how just locked in everybody was it was that game what about you 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 definitely had more time to think about this what 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 is inspiring to you this for the blazers i would say the biggest takeaway were the two main acquisitions in the offseason derrick jones jr and Robert Covington, uh, DJJ is a fan favorite. I was completely wrong uh, about that that signing. The only thing I don't like is that he has a player option now. Feels a lot like Seth Curry, where he's going to ball out and then command too much money next year. But uh, he has been incredible on the defensive end of the floor. He's in- incredibly intelligent. He's got long arms, quick. And then you get the ball on the break, and I have not seen a Blazer finish like that since Jerome Kersey. I mean, he had one, I believe, against uh, might have been Denver. Uh, it wasn't the alley oop that he hurt himself on, which was nuts. But he just got the ball and he cupped it, took two steps, and just flushed it. And opponents know they don't even try and test him. Um, I think having that sort of finisher on the break not only hypes the team up, but it just it sends a little bit of a message. Like as Blazers, we haven't had a lot of just straight athletes on the roster over the years, and like you always worry, like. 
okay, there's Aminu, there's Harkless, even CJ to an extent in the past week. Are you going to get it blocked? Like, are you going to miss it? I don't know. You, you don't worry about that with Derek Jones. He just throws it down. His three-point shot looks buttery. Uh, I think he's going to shoot league average or better, especially in this Portland offense. Um, he's one where we could be looking at, if he stays with the team three, four years down the road, like borderline all-star. Um, I think he's got that much talent. Um, he may never make it just because the, it's only 12 players per conference, but he looks like he's only getting better. He's got a great work ethic. Um, happy to be wrong on that one. And Robert Covington, his release is so much quicker than I thought it was. He's got a little bit more range than I thought he did. Um, and defensively, just he is so instinctful, sticks those big paws out there, knocks a lot of uh, passes off. Um, he is going to be, I think, the defensive leader, he and DJ. And I think once they gel, it's going to look a lot better than what we saw through the preseason. And then lastly, Carello Anthony coming off the bench, certified bucket. Uh, I think he's accepted that role. Uh, I wish the members of the media would quit asking him about it because it's it just, it's annoying and it's, he's, it's tired. It's the storyline is past. Like quit asking this man about coming off the bench. It's clearly a tough decision for him. He's doing it and he's performing. Um, I think he's going to be a, a great just player to throw the ball in in the second unit and just get you some buckets. And whether if he's hot, he's extending that lead. If he's just even just average, he's keeping you above water. So I think that's great to have a guy who can catch and shoot, but also isolate a little bit, go into the blocks. And last but not least, it's, it was great to see Rodney Hood back. Uh, I thought he looked better um, as he got um, used to running, used to you know getting some physical contact and being on the floor. Uh, I think his three-point shooting was incredible last year, shot damn near 50%. But I, I'm most stoked about him as a big guard, punishing Littles down on the block like he did Jamal Murray in that 2019 uh, conference semifinal. Uh, that was great. That was great to see. You know, Nurk obviously came back, but he had already came back in the bubble. So I don't count that as the same as I do for Rodney, but it was obviously great to see um, our big man back. So it's just nice to to have Hoop back. And so mm. um, anything else on preseason before we go to these uh, predictions, Sage? I'm glad that we'll see games that actually matter and maybe we'll see a more inspired defense. All right, Sage. So I asked you to go one through 15 and I'll do the same. Uh, Probably for the teams that aren't in that play-in scenario, let's just go pretty quick um, as to who we have. I'll let you kick it off. Who do you have at 15? The Oklahoma City Thunder. They they gave away, or they traded. They did not give away. They traded away parts of a playoff team and got backdraft assets. Shea Gildress is probably the only guy that's actually going to be part of the core moving forward. They just don't have a lot of talent, and I think that they will be in the running for Kate Cunningham in the 2020-2021 uh, draft class. So I have them at 15. I've got OKC at 15 as well. It's a team that fired or mutually parted ways with Billy Donovan because they want to go in a different direction. Last year was definitely a surprise to them internally. Uh, they wanted to hit the reset button. And yeah, they're not trying to win. They're trying to play their young players like Dort and Baisley and obviously SGA. And they've got quite a few rookies as well. Got them at 15. Uh, Sage, who do you have at 14? The Sacramento Kings. 
I really like Tyrese Halliburton. I really do. I wish he was on a team that could compete. The West is going to be hard. I think Sacramento is a few good drafts away from competing. So I think that they are the uh, 14th team. Who do you have? I have Sacramento as well. Initially, I had them higher. This was one where I used preseason to knock a team down. I just look at that roster and I'm like, De'Aaron, if De'Aaron Fox is your best player, you have problems. And, and I'm sorry if that's offensive to any De'Aaron Fox fans or Kentucky fans, but he's just not a t- guy you should be building around, even at his young age. Like they gave him that big contract extension, and I get it because you're Sacramento and you're a small market, but I, that that they've just swung and missed so many times in the lottery. You talked about them being a few draft classes away. I don't even know. They, they need to actually hit on some of these lottery picks. Um, Buddy Heald situation, he's probably going to get dealt sooner or later. And then you just look at the team and De'Aaron Fox, great. But who else is going to get it done for you on a consistent basis? So I, I have them at, at 14 and I really feel for the Sacramento fans. I support other small market franchises. They have a really rowdy and loyal fan base. They deserve to make it back to the playoffs, but I think that playoff drought is going to get to 15 years um, since 06 was the last time they have made it. I do I do like what they did with Halliburton, but Halliburton's one of those guys that raises the ceiling, not the floor. I think that he is going to be a good player on a different team, unfortunately. They need to build a culture and they need to really invest in scouting some players. So uh, at 13... I have the Minnesota Timberwolves. I am kind of confused on. I don't think Delo's a, a a lead guard. I think that he can get it for himself, and it confuses me if he can get it for others. He's not really a pick and roll guy, and I know that the Minnesota scheme is very pick and roll heavy. I would like to see them try and do more offense through Cat. With the current coaching, I don't know if that's going to be a, the case. I think that it's going to be a lot of pick and roll basketball. And I don't know. I think Anthony Edwards and Malik Beasley are quite similar. So I don't, you have a lot of offensive guys and no defensive guys. So uh, I, I have them as the third worst team in the West. We are uh, in sync right now. Um, call me Jay Timberlake and I call you JC Chavez. Um because that's just what it is. I have Minnesota at 13 as well. Uh, you said it, all offense, no defense. If Carl Anthony Towns is truly a superstar in this league, he's got to put the team on his shoulders and be better than the third worst team in the West. But after really having a strong couple of first first two seasons in the league, I think he's regressed a little bit, and he's he's too talented to that. He could be the best big in the league. He, he really could. He's got all of the talent in the world. Um, obviously, he had a tough offseason. He lost his mother to the coronavirus. Um, and that's where the, the human side of things kicks in. Um, I don't like D'Angelo Russell. I think he's, he's exactly what he is. He's a good player on a bad team. And that's where he is right now. Anthony Edwards, they're going to have to wait on him. Who's there for Hernan Gomez. I mean, they have just got really bad forwards. Um, they are a ways away. Uh, who do you have at 12 stage? I have the San Antonio Spurs. They have a lot of above average guards, a LaMarcus Aldridge who's getting older, DeMar DeRozan who's a mid-range guy. Like they have talent, but I don't think they have enough talent to compete in the West right now. Coach Pop is a legend and he's transcendently good as a coach, but you got to have the talent to put the coach's vision 
out there. And I, I, I think that they're going to be a very fun team. They're probably going to pass it a lot because uh, Coach Pop has said when his teams aren't as good, he instills a lot of passing. I just think it's a talent issue. I think that they won't be able to compete with those teams that are higher up in the West. This is scary. I too have the San Antonio Spurs at, at 12th. And just like what you said, they don't have any top end talent. Uh, DeRozan and Aldridge are both on the last year of their contracts. They have a lot of nice players that other teams could really use to round out their roster. Players like Lonnie Walker, DeJounte Murray, Patty Mills, Derek White. Uh, they have young talent in Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell. Um, even Jakob Pertl t- to an extent, but didn't Jakob get paid? I don't know, but I, I don't know if anybody is is going to empty the bank for anybody on their roster, and they are almost in no man's land because with Pop, they're never going to bottom out. Um, I think that's what they need to do. They need to do a hard reset and just go dumpster diving for 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 quite a while because right now, like you said, I don't think they have the top end talent to hang with anybody. In, in the Western Conference. Who do you have at 11? Um, I have, one second, let me clear my Jakob Pertle search. And yes, he did get paid. This one, I, f- I could be wrong about. But the main reason I put the Grizzlies here is because I couldn't find any information on when Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to play because he did have a pretty serious injury in the bubble. And if he's not there physically, that team is missing a superstar. So until I find some real information about Jaron Jackson, I kind of feel like this is where the Grizzlies belong. Yeah, I have New Orleans Pelicans at 11. Uh, clearly, they are probably the strongest front court in the league with Steven Adams and Zion Williamson. Um, I do think they are going to miss the leadership of, of Drew Holiday. Um, Eric Bledsoe seems like a player that's just ripe for a trade request at, at any moment. Um, I think they're a year or two away. Uh, I think the, a good season for the Pelicans would be Zion staying healthy, staying on that trajectory, Brandon Ingram fighting for another all-star bid, um, and Steven Adams, you know, boosting that, that trade value. Uh, but that, that's what, where I have the Pelicans, um, I could see them actually making the playoffs if Zion does take that leap, but I think BI has to as well. I'm a little gun shy on them because they had the easiest bubble schedule. And Sage, you as a Pelicans fan, they they look like buns in in the bubble. They they just did not have it. Lonzo wasn't there. Um, so I think leadership, especially in this type of season, is going to kind of be their downfall. Talent wise, I think you like what you have as a young roster, but um, I don't see it this year for the Pels. Who do you have? So now we are in play in territory. The top 10 seeds have the ability if they're within a certain amount of games to make the playoffs. Who do you have at 10 Sage? Another team with humongous question marks is the Houston Rockets because as of this recording, James Harden is a Houston Rocket, but when it's published, that might be a different story. There's just so many question marks you know, you're trusting, you're putting a lot of trust in a guy that hasn't played basketball in a very long time in John Wall. You're putting even more trust in Boogie Cousins, who last time he played real basketball looked very slow. You have Christian Wood, who's a really good player, but at the same time, he's a very selfish player and really cares about his own stats. Houston is just ready for an explosion. So I have them. Yeah, I have them at 10. So who do you have at 10? 
At 10, I have the team you had one spot lower, the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I put them in a similar boat as your New Orleans Pelicans. I, I love the the young talent they have there. Um, I think they snuck up on a few teams last year, especially before the, the pandemic hit. They were they destroyed the Lakers at home. They had a nice lead for that for that eighth seed. I think John Morant's a future all-star in the making. I really love Brandon Clark. Um, but Jaron Jackson Jr., that's the big one. I think he is their difference maker. He's the modern day big. Um, just uh, just torched us in the bubble with his ability to stretch a defense, but he has had a significant injury history and, and those type of players. It's really hard to determine if you can count on them uh, long-term. So, you know, I've got them in the thick of things and wouldn't be surprised if they were in, in one of those playoff games. Um, nine, who do you got Sage? I feel like everybody like 11, 11 through eight it would not surprise me if they're in it or out of it it's just things are fluid right now injuries happen trade requests happen it's tough to really knock things down when roster construction is still very much a thing who what number is it again sorry number nine i have the new orleans pelicans i've seen eric bledsoe interact with a lot of the youth and i feel really good about how he is treating young guys and mentoring i've seen brandon ingram I know it's preseason. I know that. But he didn't do second and third efforts defensively. In these games, he's like really showing that he wants this. And he's going to put in that effort. I think that they're going to figure it out with Steven Adams and Zion. You know, they, they have a lot of talent. They have good coaching. They have good general managers. I'm going to put them at the nine spot. I think I think that this team is better than last year's team and. It breaks my heart to say it because Drew Holiday is my favorite basketball player. Number nine, like you, I have no idea. This was the hardest team to peg the Houston Rockets. They already traded Russell Westbrook for John Wall. They've traded Robert Covington. P.J. Tucker wants a contract extension. Probably not going to get one, so he's probably going to get dealt. What are they going to do with James Harden? You know, with James Harden, they are a playoff team. He is they're, they're, that, they're a playoff team. They're the he's that damn good. Love him or hate him. He's that damn good. He has transcended the offensive game uh, for better or for worse. But stats don't lie, and neither does his production. But again, none of us expect him to be a rocket for the entire season. So how long does he play? What do they get in return if they get a guy like Ben Simmons? Ben Simmons is a fantastic all-star caliber player. But if you get maybe a consolidation type of trade package from Brooklyn, that's not going to be enough. So it, it's really hard projecting this team. I feel really bad for Steven Silas that this is his first job that he mm-hmm. took. Um, it's a complete disaster and a shit show by all accounts. Um, it's not a matter of if, but when James Harden gets moved. So for that, I have the Rockets on the outside looking in. I have a question for you. Let's say James Harden's on the table for the Blazers and it's CJ McCollum and assets and players that won't break your heart if they leave. Would you want James Harden on this team? Head says yes, heart says no. Heart, the heart's loyal. The, the heart's loyal. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. Like, I know. I know it break like. I am loyal to CJ McCollum. I, mm-hmm. I, I want to see Damon CJ win a, a chip. Like they have been here. They won. They're their best buds. But in, 
I so I was gonna save this for later, but you you brought it on, which I think it's perfectly fine because well, I, I've been thinking. He, about we said it. Houston Rockets a bunch. Yeah, and I yeah, would yeah. Rather not talk about it later. I've been reading a ton about the '77 Blazers. I've read the Pride of Portland. I'm in the middle of reading the, the coaches' art. I read uh, Bill Walton, uh, a basketball star. Um, I read Blazers of Glory. So I've been just reading a ton on the '77 Blazers. I don't know if you can win as easily with a team like the Blazers had that year now versus in in that era. Plus we also don't have a Bill Walton. Bill Walton was MVP defensive player of the year monster. It's really hard to, that's why like the 04 Pistons, the the 2014 Spurs, even the 2000 Blazers, those teams are outliers. It's, it's hard to win when you have maybe even just one elite player and and the rest are are pretty talented because everyone has to be playing at their peak at once you have two top 10 players the reason they're top 10 players is because they're consistently elite and then all of a sudden you just need maybe one or two role players to show up and your top two players are going to carry you on a nightly basis we saw this with lebron and ad we saw it with jordan and pippen look at we're watching the last dance during during the quarantine look at that roster it is absolute buns it's jordan pippen i mean really look Steve Kerr, Judd Bushler, old ass Ron Harper, Luke Longley, Bill Wennington. Guys are bums, but mm. they were elite because they had Jordan and Pippen. We lost to Shaq and Kobe. I mean, it's it's really all about high level talent. When there's only 10 players on a court, the stars really shine brightest. I mean, in the NFL, there's 22 total players. Major League Baseball, I mean, God, you have you have nine players uh, on on the field, one player at bat. I mean, it's just it's it's really hard for one player to make a difference in that sport. Mm-hmm. In basketball, it's so easy to be do- dominated. I mean, why do you think LeBron was able to be in the finals every year? It's because he's fucking amazing and he's just better than everybody else. And he had a lot of scrubs on his teams. So you know, if I'm looking at it that way. Yes, Harden doesn't play much defense. Yes, he needs the ball in his hands. He's basically a souped up, a very, very souped up version of CJ. But at the same time, you're you're adding another top 10 player. Culturally, I don't think it's a great fit. Um, we've seen the articles come out on ESPN how the Rockets culture was basically catered to James Harden, and it really rubbed Russell Westbrook the wrong way, um, rubbed Chris Paul the wrong way, obviously didn't really work out with, with Melo. Um, I don't know if it would work. But maybe it's a trade you make close to the deadline where the Blazers may not be where they want to be. Um, the Rockets haven't found the right partner. Um, I don't really personally like watching James Harden play basketball either, to, to be honest. Like, if I'm on 2K and I, like, I need to win the championship, I, I think you make the deal. Um, as a purist, I, I don't know. I, I, I hate that I'm, like, waffling on this, but I've really put a lot of thought into it. And it sucks because... I just, I really enjoy CJ. I think he's a great dude. I like for what he stands for. I want to see our homegrown team win. Um, but at the end of the day, if they made that trade, I'm not going to just be like completely pissed off. Like we would, I do think we would be a better team just because top end talent, it just wins. Mm-hmm. And just think like the biggest struggle for the Blazers is easy baskets. James Harden's going to the line 12 times. James had to go to the, like, our two, our two best players are going to generate 22 potential points at the free throw line. James is 
you know, hate him or love him. He's going to put up stats. He's going to get rebounds. He's going to get assists. Like you, you, you said assists and you said free throws. That's been the two areas where CJ could use a lot of growth. He averages like for a career three free throw attempts per game. He's a good assist man when he runs the team, when Dame's, you know, ever missing a game, but the ability to have James Harden run the offense and Dame play off ball. James Harden's a fantastic passer. I mean, he's averaged double digit assists before. Like you said, he's going to get to the line. Uh, It just makes it so much easier, especially in playoff basketball where it gets to half court, but uh, it's, did you read my, uh, did you hack into my Grammarly account and read what article I'm posting next? Because you kind of, kind of ruined it. No, I'm just a beast like that, Sage. What, what do you think? But uh, let, let's let's keep this this show rolling. What? Who did you have at eight? You know, it. I had some serious troubles. Uh, let me see. I had serious troubles. 11 through 9, 8 through 5. So I had troubles 11 through 8 as well. We talked about this a few podcasts ago about the Golden State Warriors with Clay, And I was thinking that it wouldn't affect them as much. And I've changed my mind. I have the Warriors at 8 because they had huge plans for Steph and Clay. So I think that the injury... They tried their best to, you know, get more wings, but I think that Clay Thompson is someone that's irreplaceable for an offense. So I have the Golden State Warriors at eight. Yeah, I have the Warriors at eight too, and I honestly would not be surprised if a team like Houston, New Orleans, or Memphis jumps them. As great as Steph Curry is, Draymond Green is already going to start the season on the shelf. Clay Thompson was a premier defender. How he wasn't ever a first-team all-defender is just p- political. He was a fantastic defender at, at that two-guard position. He's gone. You now have Kelly Oubre playing in a contract here who's great on offense. I don't know what you're going to get from him on a nightly basis on the defensive end. Not Andrew much. Wiggins, who nobody's been able, able to figure out if he's good or not. He's got a terrible contract. Their big situation is scary. You're really relying on Kevon Looney and James Wiseman. I know we're in the era where centers have the least value they've ever had, but I'd be pretty terrified going into the season with uh, Wiseman and Looney as as your bigs. Like As great as Steph Curry is, again, we're talking about 72 games, condensed. Pretty Who's much, getting rebounds for this team, bro? I don't know. And yeah. rebounds are – we saw that last year with the Blazers. You can't get rebounds, you can't win games. Um, so I have them eight, and that's really just as a as a honor to the greatness of, of Steph Curry. I mean, like Clay is the 99th percentile in shooting guard. Like, if you want an off ball scorer that can play defense, Clay is the 99th percentile player that you can get. Like, I, Clay Thompson would be the 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 one player I'd want alongside Dame in the backcourt. I think he's the best fit. Seven, who you got? I have the Phoenix Suns, man. Ooh. I've been thinking a lot about Chris Paul. His knees have been worrisome for a very long time, man. He's getting old. I think that what he's going to do is instill a culture with the team, but he might not be able to bring it on so many like so many days and so so many games and so many nights. Like there's some games where he's going to have to take off for maintenance issues. So I think that because of the the games he's going to take off and not try his hardest 
or just not be there. I think they're going to be seven just because it's going to be a very, very condensed record when lost because of so many different issues that I think that Chris Paul not being on the court for certain games is going to bring them down quite a bit. I've got the Dallas Mavericks, uh, Luca, incredible, but Porzingis is still starting the season on the shelf. Um, I don't know where they're going to get consistent scoring from uh, a secondary, you know, third, fourth, fifth option on a nightly basis. Again, I don't love the fact they got rid of Seth Curry. Um, Dwight Powell does return. Dallas is a team that, aside from Luka, I thought played a little bit above themselves in terms of like a Maxi Kleber. Uh, Tim Hardaway. Fin- yeah, Tim Hardaway, Dorian Finney-Smith. I don't think you're ever going to want to play Dallas, but I think if you slow the game down a bit, get to the free throw line, and just get key stops, you you can you can beat the Mavericks. I think it really all comes down to Lucas' role players. Um, I think he's good enough to get them into the playoffs, but starting the season without Porzingis, I think is going to put him in a hole that they're not going to be able to to climb out of and get to that top four. Who do you have at six? You know it's crazy. I was like, did they draft Josh Green? Because that seems like the perfect team for Josh Green. Boom! They did draft him. What number is it again? I got distracted with my brilliance of remembering who drafted who. Six? So, I have the Utah Jazz. They just made a big splash by taking Rudy Gobert off the market. And I think Rudy Gobert is a really good player, but I don't know if that contract's going to be a value contract in the future. $205 million for a center that can't score. Sage. That, that pisses off their number one guy. Because he's in the way. What, 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 what are the Jazz doing? Like this. See, this, this is my problem with the salary cap is it really fucks over small market teams mm. because the Utah Jazz, they can't just be like, no, we don't, we don't think you're worth $40 million. We're going to let you walk. They become a significantly worse team. But by giving Rudy Gobert somewhat market value, they now are locked into the Gobert-Mitchell dynamic duo for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. And they have no more flexibility. And then the Derek Faber signing too. It's just so hard to build a team given the restrictions of the salary cap when you're going to do luxury tax. Like I really think the NBA needs to come together and maybe do a a cap relative to market size, um, revenue. I don't know because the small market teams just kind of get screwed out of this. Um, It's really hard to build a team. When I'll take Portland, for example, Gary Trent Jr. is a fantastic player. I am deathly afraid that that somebody is going to throw a big bag at him. Alan Crabb contract, Alan Crabb type contract next summer. And what do we do? We need him to compete. But do we also want to go into the luxury tax for the foreseeable future, which also means we can't do a mid-level, a good mid-level exception. You, I mean, we saw just how bad our cap was from the Western Conference Finals mm-hmm. team where we really had to say goodbye to Ennis. We had to say goodbye to Seth Curry. We were lucky Rodney Hood took a team discount. I mean, we were hit hard. Mm-hmm. And so that that's my rant for that. Um, I think Utah was put into a no-win situation. Yeah, they, they competed against themselves for their own player. Well, he um, was getting a max, I think, from some team, especially yeah, with... Giannis going off the market, Paul George, LeBron, AD, like 
the summer of 2021 big market free agencies is now Kawhi Leonard and Victor Oladipo. So if somebody was going to throw Rudy a max, um, he just stays stayed with the current team. Yeah, and are you, you know, there's been all these rumors that Rudy and Donovan just have beef because of play style. Like, Rudy wants alley-oops, Donovan wants him to get the fuck out of the pain. <laughs> so it's, it's difficult, man. Like, they're ca- they're capped at this uh, this team, and I, d- I don't know if they're worthy of a top-four spot with this team. I mean, they spent so much money on Jordan Clarkson, they're going to spend money on Donovan Mitchell. Like, man, if any regression happens, especially with Mike Conley, it can get brutal for him, bro. Yeah, I've got Utah at six as well. Um, I debated putting them a little bit higher, debated putting them a little bit lower. What Donovan Mitchell are you going to get? Are you going to get the rookie year Donovan Mitchell that basically helped them win that series against Mm -hmm. the Oklahoma City Thunder? Or are you going to get the Donovan Mitchell from the following year where he couldn't do a damn thing against the Houston Rockets? I believe he had one of the worst statistical performances in playoff history two years ago. Um, Joe Ingles is not getting uh, any younger. They brought back Derek Favors, which doesn't do a whole lot. Um, Bogdanovich is coming off of, of a wrist surgery. Yes, he spreads the floor, but he's not really a defender, which is okay because you have Gobert back there in the paint. Um, but Conley regressed significantly. Um, they paid a lot of money to Jordan Clarkson. Um, I think they're another one of those teams that they are a piece or a significant piece or two away from really contending. A lot of their role players are now up there in age, and I don't like the depth. I mean, aside from Royce O'Neal, who's coming off of their bench. Um, yeah, I have them at six. Um, don't really like how they also blew that 3-1 lead. Um, I think a lot of people would be thinking more highly of them if they were able to close the door on the Nuggets, but it's blowing a 3-1 lead. It's just, that, that's tough to, tough to get over. Five, I, who you got? I have the Dallas Mavericks. I have the same concerns as you do with, you know, Chris Stapps not being healthy. You don't know who the tertiary option is going to be for him, but you know what? They do have Luka Doncic. That's a pretty good way to start. And finding that a superstar like that, man, it, it, it he's going to run the league soon. I, I think that his greatness, the coaching staff's greatness, and then just the role players having to pick it up until Chris Stapps gets back. I think that they're going to be the fifth seed. Doncic is just special, man. I, I and Carlisle special, so I, I I respect those two too much. So they they're fifth. I've got Phoenix. They're the team that I think is going to take a significant jump. Um, if Booker really wants to be in the MVP candidacy, that that conversation, um, taking his play from the bubble. I'm expecting a big jump from Aiton, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges. I loved with the addition of Jay Crowder. Clearly what you said, Chris Paul is the X factor. If he can stay healthy, this is a just a tough team, a tough out in the Western Conference. If he can't stay healthy, you're probably looking in that that 10 to 7 range where they'll make the playoff, the, the play-in, but it's not going to really That's be a That's a failure, threat. though, if you trade for Chris Paul. That's a failure. They really give up a lot, though. I mean, that's the, that's the best player. Like, that's the biggest trade they've made since Steve Nash, dog. They, I who, mean, they, again, they didn't have a lot of assets they wanted to move. They traded mm-hmm. Kelly Oubre, who was who was beefing with the team. And, and they won without Oubre in the bubble. Yeah. He's a unrestricted free agent this offseason. You know, they really just matched contracts. 
I think it was a just a really low risk, high reward mm. move for them. If if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But like, you know, to get an all star player for for that cheap, I, I think you had to take it. Yeah, and absolutely, you did. Absolutely, I think it's it'll just... pay off for the Phoenix Suns. I think they will be a really good team in the Western Conference. They will but be now, one of the funnest teams to watch when Chris Paul's healthy. But now we're talking top four home court advantage. Who do you have it for? I have the Denver Nuggets, and I, I really. I mean, we did this a few weeks ago, so I, tr- I I really tried to keep the top four the same. So Blazers are going to be a little higher than you, I think, for you, I think, than you. So I, I have the Denver Nuggets. I, I, they lost a lot of depth, but Jamichael Green, Paul Millsap can bring back some of it. It does worry me that Will Barton's upset that he's the sixth man and Michael Porter Jr. is not a defender. But I think that they have another year of really good play before we see the inevitable plateau and drop. Yeah, I think you summed it up nicely. I have Denver at four as well. I flip-flopped them with Phoenix from the last time mm-hmm. we did this. Um, again, I still think Jokic has to be assertive year-round. They did lose a lot of depth. Um, the Will Barton comments are very concerning, uh, especially coming this early in preseason. You don't Teams that have drama and beef aren't going to be successful. It doesn't matter if it's from the top player or the 12th player. You don't want any of that, and that, mm. that's really bad that that's already coming out. I think offensively, they're fantastic. Their ball movement is just ridiculous. They picked us apart at any moment during the preseason. They, I could see them finishing as high as two. Do I think they're the second-best team in the West? No, but if we're talking about getting off to a fast start, even though they lost a lot of depth, that starting fives played a lot of basketball together, mm-hmm. and – they looked pretty in sync. My, my question for them is Isaiah Hartenstein going to be able to keep that production he had in the preseason, the entire season. No, nah, I, I mean, is, I, I think Jamal Murray is, has to be, we have to talk about Jamal Murray. Like you talked about Jokic having to be dominant from game one to 72 and on to whatever. I think Jamal Murray also has to be that yeah, there's I, games where he, he's just not as aggressive as he can be. I think with the lack of depth, I know he has Monte Morris behind him, but still he has to be aggressive and show that he's worth that contract that they gave him. Like he is has Paul, to Is be, Paul Millsap going to be able to stay healthy for a full 72? Like is he going to have to rest some games? So yeah, I think depth will will, will take its toll on this team. I, I like them. I think they'll be good early. I don't know how well, how well they'll finish. Who do you have at 3? I have the Clippers. I haven't changed anything. That yo, they, the the thing that has happened since our last time talking about them, Paul George signed a really big ass contract. Um, so I guess that's less pressure because he's locked up. But Kawhi Leonard's still very much a free agent next year. They have a lot of pressure. A lot of older players that are taking that are sacrificing for the greater good for the Clippers. It's a lot of pressure. Do they? Do they? Turn it into a diamond or coal. I I don't know. Um, do you have the Blazers at three or two? I have them at three, and I'll tell you after that Nuggets game, I put together the list. I'm like, you guys are seven. I am pissed <laughs> off. I don't want to see this team play basketball. Um, it, it's it's hard. I honestly could see them finishing seventh if they don't get their shit together. I I'm in, the hardest thing about predictions is projecting where the team is going to be at the end of the year. Right now, do I think Portland is the third best team? Hell no. We have too many holes. Um, I don't think a lot of our guys are are 
in game game shape. Nurkic and Hood being being two of, two of the main players there. Um, I don't think the team is gelled yet, and I don't know if it's continuity comes with more than just one season. Like they're just going to have to you know get the tip of the iceberg for their for their chemistry in year one. But again, I'm, I'm projecting over the course of the season, Dame's greatness really lifting us up over the first half of the season and then starting to really get into a rhythm of, okay, here's who's going to come in off the bench. Here's the rotations. You know, players play well when they know when they're going to come in. I think that's going to be Terry Stotts. Just the toughest thing for him to do. He's got, he's got 13, 14 players he could play on a nightly basis. He really has to tell guys, this is your rotation. This is when you should expect to come in, expect to play this amount of minutes. Obviously, it's on a sliding scale of the performance that I'm seeing on the floor, especially with a guy like Harry Giles. Harry, this is a matchup where I expect you to play more minutes, or maybe I'm going to go with Ennis for this matchup. That could change. He still has to be locked in, but he should just like, no, okay, I'm going to prepare like I have to play. Um, so I, I just think there's a lot of questions Portland has. They have the talent they have to figure it out. And I think, you know, there's a lot of expectations for this team. They have to meet them. The roster is there. It's a good roster. There aren't many holes on it there. It's it's, I don't want to be a dick, but there are no excuses. They have to get it done. If they stay healthy, knock on wood, they need to be a top four seed. That's just the bottom line. And you have them at two. Yep. I didn't want to change what I had just because of three preseason games. And Paul George getting a max. They have a team that can compete. Dame and CJ, when they have competent teammates, take us to really high heights. So I'm 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 riding with two, and uh, we both have the Lakers number one. So that's shitty. Yeah, like I've, I've got the Clippers at two. Um, I think they are going to play with much more of a chip on their shoulder. They were embarrassed in the bubble. Um, team and CJ gave them the business on Twitter. Um, yeah, they have championship aspirations and it didn't happen. Um, I think Kawhi is going to elevate, elevate his game. Uh, I think they're going to play more games together. If they try to do this load management stuff, it's not going to work. And I don't know if they're going to get a top four seed. Um, I don't know how much longer they can sustain with Pat Bev as a starting two guard. Lou Will's going to have to drop off sooner, um, sooner or later. You know, Montrez, he was. He was rough on the he was rough in the playoffs, but he was their energy. He was their spark um, through the regular season, winning sixth man of the year. Who knows? Who knows with the Clippers? They are also big unknown. But yeah, the Lakers look like the clear favorites. Um, anytime you have LeBron and Anthony Davis, I mean, they they just look so good. Um, you could put me and you next to them, and they'd still probably win the championship. So have them as a clear number one. The only way I don't see them finishing first in the West is if they do severe load management with those two. Sage, who do you have in the Eastern Conference Finals? Who would be your top two teams in the East? I mean, I got to go Bucks with the addition of Drew Holiday. I mean, that team is ready to compete. Giannis just signed his uh, Supermax. I think that they are the number one. And then for two... I would like to say Toronto, but I think that them not playing at home at all is going to be a factor. I think maybe I think it'll be the Bucks versus Heat. Yeah, I, I have Milwaukee. Um, I think Giannis signing that Supermax puts the whole organization at ease, and I think they can just play without the pressure 
that they had. I think they played with a lot of pressure the past two years, knowing, oh, we got to win for Giannis to stay. Well, they didn't win and Giannis did stay. So I think when you play with less pressure and just able to perform, you know, results happen. So I definitely have Milwaukee. I could see two, three, I'm, I'm tossed up between Miami and Brooklyn. Um, I'm going to go Brooklyn. I think Miami caught a little bit of bubble fever um, down there in Orlando and just got hot. I don't know if they can sustain that for a whole season. I love Bam Adebayo. Um, Jimmy Butler, for as fantastic as, you know, a culture setter as he's been in Miami, I don't know if he can lead a team for 72 mm. games. Like he had a couple amazing playoff games where he was just putting that team on his shoulders, but that's not him. I mean, he's, he's a defender and he's looking for, you know, hero and Robinson and Drogic and, you know, none and all of those players to really supplement the offense. Um, I do think they're going to miss Jay Crowder. I think they're, they're going to miss DJJ. DJJ. Um, I think Miami, I wouldn't be surprised if Miami's in the thick of it, but I think this is the year Milwaukee finally gets it. I think, I think Milwaukee and the Lakers is my final prediction. Yeah, I, I think that as well. Do you think, I think as soon as Giannis signed his Supermax, I think Drew Holiday got his max. Like they traded so much in terms of player and draft capital. I think Drew has an amazing amount of leverage to get his last big bag in the league and i as a humongous drew holiday fan i'm super psyched for him where do you see the blazers in portland (laughs) how far do you have them going you know what okay game seven versus the clippers dame takes a step back jumper on the right right hash of the three-point line drains a step back three in Paul George's face, and they go against the Lakers and probably lose in six. I mean, yeah, I think that's a really good scenario for Portland. I think that right now I will project the Blazers to be in the Western Conference Finals. I think they'll have to go through the Clippers. I think they face the Lakers. I think they can beat the Lakers. And, and maybe we do a midseason review of where we're at. But right now I, I don't see it. And I think you know, we talked about the 77 Blazers. Well, they had continuity and they were all clicking. It would take the collective trailblazer unit to all be clicking to beat the two headed monster of Lakers. Like it was the classic uh, two deep, you know, TWO versus two deep TOO of the Kobe Shaq Lakers versus the 12 deep Blazers uh, of the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, but for now, I, I'll give the edge to to the champs. And I think you have to. And I would honestly be thrilled with the Western Finals. Um, it shows that what we're doing now is sustainable. And, and then, I, wow. yeah, I think you're able to bring players back. I think you're okay going into the luxury tax. And I think Neil's like, okay, I do make that one major trade to get us over the hump. But the, the trade. The trade. I think that's where he sees the trade. And maybe the trade happens at the deadline where he's like, okay, we're we're aiming for a top three seed right now. Like, the Lakers are vulnerable. Let's go for it. So, there's a lot. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. But um, right now, I would be thrilled with the Blazers making the Western Conference Finals. Do you think um, they signed Kuzma to that deal so he's way more tradable? I have no idea. Because... You know, him on a rookie scale contract, very hard to trade. Him on a bigger contract, a lot easier to trade for something that's 
impactful. Who do you have? And you don't have to rank them, but I'm putting you on the spot. I've got mine, but I'm again, I'm putting you on the spot. Who are your top five MVP candidates? And give me your predict- season prediction winner. And I'm going to write it down. Giannis, Luca, Dame, LeBron, Kevin Durant. So you had Giannis, Luca, Dame, LeBron, Kevin Durant. Yes. Who do you have winning it? 60% Luca, 40% Dame. I'm going I'm Luca. For Luca. I have Luca on the my notes. Okay. My top five, I have Nikola Jokic. Oh. I think he does everything for the Nuggets. He's the, the straw that stirs the drink. I think he's going to put up big stats, um, especially with the loss of the depth. Um, he came into camp looking really good, uh, slimmed down. Super high usage rate, too. Very, I mean, he's going to fill up the stat sheets. He's going to be an incredible big. I mean, he already is. He's he's going to take his game to the next level. So I've got Jokic as one. I think Luka Doncic has arrived. He is here. He is now. What we saw last year is not an anomaly. Um, he's here to stay. Uh, would not be surprised to see him win it. I mean, he basically almost won that series against the Clippers by himself um, with how incredible he played. He's a, a walking 30-point triple-double. Just He's going to run the league for the foreseeable future. That's two. LeBron James, I think after getting snubbed in his eyes for, for the MVP, he is going to really come out fired up. And when LeBron ever puts his mind to something, watch out because he takes his talents to another level that nobody can match. Um, Damian Lillard is, is, is my fourth guy on, on that list. I think for the Blazers to have the type of year, we're looking at Dame has to be at the MVP level. There, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. There's there's no way around it. If you if you tell me at the end of the year the Blazers are a top three seed, Damian Lillard will have had to have been again 38 and, and five rebounds, like like whatever. Like he's gonna have to go on a scoring rampage, much as he did. And then oh, looking at a fifth guy is is a really tough. I know Giannis is is the easy answer, but I have a. F- I'll put Giannis. I'll put Giannis as my fifth. I think there's zero chance he wins MVP, and I'll say that because he could do incredible historic numbers, but because of his postseason um, miscues and not able to to get the job done, there's MVP fatigue with Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I, I, there's zero chance he wins it. Um, I think if I had to rank them in terms of likelihood. I'm going to put myself down for Lillard winning it, LeBron two, Luka three. Do you think Jason Tatum can be there this year? I am not as high on Jason Tatum as the majority of basketball fans. I think he is a top 25 player. I don't think he's a top 12, 12 guy. Because I'm trying to think of creators that can get themselves biz and others. So that's why I went KD, but... You know, if Tatum leads the Celtics to the Eastern Conference Finals, he could get it. For for this award, I think that you have to be have a, the ball in your hands a lot. You have to have the usage rate, and you have to create for yourself and others. So I think every person that we've listed does that. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's not a bad outside um, dark horse. And because of how good he is, man, like the Celtics, if you watch him, they do everything to make him succeed. 
So if he has developed and gotten better and the Celtics still create everything around their offense to help him succeed, he might get it. But I'm going Luca. All right, Sage. So we have talked preseason. We have made our predictions for the Western Conference. We've talked MVP. I've got a segment that I want to start debut called the starting five. These are five questions that I've thought of after observing training camp, you know, listening to all the interviews and and watching the the four preseason games that I think will make or break this season for the Blazers. Um, So the first question that I want to toss your way is the Blazers big three of Dame, CJ and Yusuf Nurkic. Is it good enough? They're under contract for the foreseeable future. That's the Blazers' core. But can that big three get it done? I think it can, but it has to have the perfect balance of responsibility and usage rate. I think that Dame has to do a really good job of delegating responsibilities on the court. And I guess Terry Stotts also has to be part of this delegation. But he has to inspire and empower Yusuf and CJ to be – he has to inspire those two to higher heights. I think they can achieve it. It just has to be a very well-balanced attack. And Yusuf can't take CJ's shine and CJ can't take Yusuf's. So those those three have to work it out between them for responsibilities. But I think they can. Talent-wise – Yes, I think they can. If I'm going to be really realistic, I don't think it's enough. Um, And the reason I say that is I think they all, to an extent, need the ball in their hands. Yes, they do. Um, And I think a lot of fans underestimate that aspect of Yusuf Nurkic because he can be a decision maker. And, you know, when you're running the Dame Nurk pick and roll or you're using Nurk at the high post and letting him be a decision maker in the triple threat, um, you know, we've all called for Yusuf to get more usage, but then what is CJ bringing to the table? If he's not having the ball in his hands, like Terry Stott's offense is pretty stagnant. There's only a little bit of motion on one side of, of the floor. You know, we don't traditionally send, you know, players running baseline, um, and I think that's really where CJ could flourish. I think and Yusuf takes he, away his shot the most. Yeah, and then Dame, you clearly need the ball in his hands. Like mm-hmm. he's your best player. He's the best with his ball in his hands. It, it's just, I think that's where you, you know, we've, we've talked about this for five, six years on this podcast. Why do Dame and CJ never have good games together? It's because one usually gets going and the other one steps out of the way and that that's fine. But you that's that's where uh, a Clay Thompson comes in because he's just he doesn't need the ball in his hands. He scored sixty points one time, dribbling eleven times. Um, Damon CJ both need to get into their dribble moves, um, and then Nurk also needs the ball in his hands. And then Nurk needs to become more consistent. I think CJ needs to be more consistent. CJ is a money player in the playoffs, but I really thought he was going to take that next step after that postseason performance in 2019 it didn't really happen in 2020 I, I sure hope it does in 2021 but you know maybe this is just you know I think Dame has room to get better but maybe CJ is who he is and you know Nurk is just a, a big giant question mark for me so if I'm like being honest I, I don't think it's enough as a big a big three you know I was I, 
I was Googling and I put use of Nurkic's usage rate and I found John Wall's. They have comparable usage rate. So think about that when you think about use of Nurkic. He handles it as much as a lead point guard or something on, on this team. That's how much he has the ball in his hands. So my second question, Sage. Is will the real Yusuf Nurkic please stand up? I knew you were going to do that reference. Um, because in the bubble, he came out like gangbusters. And he was showing that he was even better than, than the pre, pre-beast pre injury. Um, again, personal stuff may have taken into account, but he came into those preseason games. He looked kind of slow. Um, he didn't look super engaged. Um, Jokic was running circles around him. I, I really never want to see him attempt a three-point shot because it just it never goes in. I want to see him get on the block. I want to see him make good decisions with the basketball. He has the potential to be so dominant, but we only get it in spurts. So my question for you, is this just Yusuf Nurkic where we're going to get, you know, consistent in, – in, uh, um, consistently inconsistent basketball player, or is he going to become that all-star that he has stated that that's a goal of his this year? It comes along to the usage part, bro. Like if he has the ball in his hands, he's going to make good decisions. So it, it's that balance, man. Is, is Nurkic going to negatively affect CJ? If, if Nurk shines, I really do think CJ has a pretty bad year compared to his standards. So, will we see him be the beast that he was? I think in spurts, yeah, but I don't think it's going to be consistent. Like, I think that that he'll he'll be unstoppable for twelve, and then kind of fall back a little bit for the the good of the team. So, I don't I don't know if he'll be the the, the an all star this year. But I think when you look at his stats at the end of the year, you're like, maybe they messed up, but. It's a balancing act with those those two, CJ and Nurk. Yeah, for me, Nurk is, I think, the toughest decision Neil O'Shea is going to have to make. He's got two years left under a very team-friendly deal. He's got about $12 million each the next two years. Did sign with Clutch, which is a notorious agency for getting their players paid. Sage, I, I would honestly be uncomfortable paying Nurk. 18, 19, 20 million dollars a year. And I, I know that's what his agents are, are gonna ask for. Steven Adams is making 24 million dollars a year. Rudy Gobert just got 40. Nurk's looking at those guys like, hey, I'm I'm in the same breath as, as those two. Um, and he's probably not wrong, but for a player who you don't know what you're gonna get from uh, a night in, night out basis, that's a lot of coin to pay. So Neil O'Shea is going to have to make a decision. Do I overpay? Do I make a trade? Um, or, or do I just ride it out and see how he's going to play? Because, again, a lot of his value is that he has two years left on his deal rather than just being an expiring contract and could leave any team that he gets traded to in the last year of his deal. Um, I will say that I think he's going to get better as the season goes. I loved what I saw from him in the bubble and I think fatigue really wore him down, um, especially coming back from like a 16-month absence. And he was playing damn near every day, gave it his all. I think the talent is there. What I will say, though, Sage, if we don't see more consistency or more dominance this year, 
and Portland doesn't reach their goals, I think Portland then has to have a serious conversation about moving about moving him. And I know that's going to hurt a lot of Blazer fans hearts to hear, but I think we, we have to be smart with the salary cap. We, we can't just give everyone their, their bags and go on our merry way because being in that luxury tax really hinders how we can improve this team. And if we're a second round, even a conference finalist team, and we have no means to improve the team. I mean, gave up our draft pick next year. If you're in the luxury tax, you get the taxpayers mid-level. I mean, that that's nothing. You don't get your biannual exception. You're basically saying, okay, we're going to just usher out that same team that couldn't get it done and expect them to get it better when there's really not a lot of room to grow. So it it's, it's a very, very difficult situation that the front office is could potentially be in. And I hope Nurkic makes that decision easy and just comes out and dominates because we, we talked about this age during the first couple of all games, like bubble games. Is he the best center in the league? Because he was playing like that. Inconsistency was one of the main reasons that was holding him apart from an Embiid, a Towns, a Jokic. Mm. That, and, that and him being healthy. Yeah. Health <laughs> and consistency are the, those are holding him back. If he can dial, I mean, obviously health, he has no control over, but consistency he does. And if he's able to focus, and get going. I mean, I think that's what takes Portland from a conference finalist to a possible NBA finals appearance. I mean, he he really has the room to grow. He's still in his mid-20s. Um, I think before he got hurt, Sage, we were talking about him being the second best blazer uh, on the roster above CJ. And if I think Portland is a better team if he is playing at that level. CJ, as your third best player, you can live with that. I mean, that's a certified 22 points a night, can get a bucket anytime down the floor, can run a team when Dame's on the bench. But if you have a a Nurk playing at an all-star level, if you get two all-stars out of this roster, you're really liking uh, the direction that that you're in. I like that uh, Nurkic worked out with Phil Beckner. I think that him working with Beck is going to be a nice – help because he has Beckner's going to get him right with finishing around the hoop, which he's had trouble with in his career. He's going to get him to be a better finisher ball handler. I think that if those two work together throughout the season or, you know, every summer, we're going to see a better Nurkic, but, and probably during the season, we're going to see a better Nurkic because of Phil Beckner. So I, I have faith that he can do it. It's just health has a big factor. Third question, Sage, how are the Blazers going to navigate the second unit defense? And if we look at the second unit, we're talking Anthony Simons, Gary Trent, Rodney Hood, Carrello Anthony, and NS Cantor. Um, I think there are major concerns I saw in preseason with a mellow Cantor front court. Uh, we were getting abused on the pick and roll. Bill Millsap looked like 2009. Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap looked like a goat uh, mm-hmm. against our our defense. I mean, really, only Gary Trent on that unit is a certified defender. I mean, Rodney Hood's coming back from a, an Achilles injury. We can't expect him to be a plus defender for a while. Um, I, I I don't know wh- what happens. I mean, we we look at Terry Stotts, and he can be a little bit stubborn, and he he's loyal. To an extent, maybe loyal to a fault. He saw what NS Cantor did uh, leading the team as the starting center to the conference finals when Nurk went down. But 
I remember talking to you about this on an episode over the summer about the game seeming like it really changed from the 2019 season to the 2020 season. It got more spread out, more versatile, more quick, um, a lot of pace, a lot of space. And guys like Hassan Whiteside and, and Ennis, to, to, an, to an extent, have a really tough time in today's NBA. And what Ennis did in 2019 is so significantly different league he played in than is now. And I, I, I don't think he and Melo can play together. Um, maybe Burt's maybe against the right matchup, but what are they going to do, Sage? And do you think Terry Stotts will will make the correct call when it comes to to play Harry Giles? Yeah, um, I think Harry Giles is the is the preferred player on that second unit because the because game has gotten. Carmelo worse. Anthony, ain't, you're you're not going to put him on the the bench bench like he's getting minutes. Mm-hmm. And Harry Giles is athletic enough to defend the Kristaps Porzingis's or you you don't want Ennis Cancer to play against the Dallas Mavericks tag. Could you imagine what Luca would do to him? It would be disastrous. I think I think that the I think Ennis can do fine against traditional bigs like he Jaleel Okafor isn't gonna scare me or you know I think that Harry Giles has, should have a much bigger role. Will he? I have no idea. But I think Harry Giles should be playing over Ennis for the obvious reasons that Ennis can't defend a pick and roll. You saw it against Denver, bro. Like, Paul Millsap looked like a Utah Jazz Paul Millsap. And, like, I was watching with my mom, and I was like, Ennis fucked up here. Ennis fucked up here. Like, it's it's difficult to play pick and roll defense, and he might not have the lateral quickness for it. Or he does not have lateral quickness for it. I'll be more definitive. And I was really on the Ennis bandwagon getting him for what we did. And and I still am. I think it's important that we have depth because we were gutted last year. We had nobody over like six, nine outside of Hassan Whiteside the entire year. So I like that we have depth. We have options. I, I, I would like to see situational usage of Ennis versus Giles, uh, Carmelo, um, all of those three front court players, because Ennis is an elite offensive rebounder. He's great at finishing. He's going to keep you in the game on the offensive end. If we can just find ways to hide him a little bit better, um, I think that'll make our lives a little bit easier. Maybe it's um, Mello playing the three instead of playing directly with him in that pick and roll situation. Maybe it's smart rotations. Like, you know, DJJ goes out of the game early for Mello and then will come in with a second unit to bolster that defensive t- uh, unit like there's ways to do it i don't think that we'll ever be the team that j- is the hubie brown type of first unit second unit i think that we have to mix and match personnel and that's going to take time to find out you know djj and carmelo are like this they're perfect for one another on the court you know so it's going to take a while but i think that we have to be very smart with the rotations and Maybe one of, you know how we say one of Dame or CJ has to be on the court at, at all times. Maybe it's one or both of Robert Covington and DJJ play at the same time. I would agree with that. Fourth question. The Blazers have talked about getting off to a fast start this year, and it's incredibly necessary if they want to become a top four team in, in, in the hyper-competitive Western Conference problem is is they're incorporating a lot of new faces sage do you think they can gel quick enough 
to get that top four seed. I mean, clearly we both project that, but I think this is a, a genuine concern. Absolutely it is. And I, I think that I think that Dame is going to have to carry a lot in the first part of the season just because yo, these guys don't play together, haven't played together much. I think Dame is going to earn his MVP stripes the first twenty games. The first month of January where it's all Oregon and California, it might be Dame's time to really shine. The games go by. Rodney, uh, DJJ, Robert are all going to get used to playing with one another. It's I think it's all on Dame for the first part, unfortunately. Dame and CJ to get those wins. But uh, lucky for us, there's a lot of teams that are going through a lot of uh, uh, new roster constructions. So hopefully... With the superstars that we have, they can carry us through the first part of the season. Yeah, I'll, I'll answer that quickly. Do I think we can gel quickly enough? No, I think we're going to see some mistakes. I think it's going to take time. I think the way we get over that is what you just said, Damian Lillard. He is going to have to come out assertive, aggressive, play with an MVP mindset, and set the tone. I, I don't think we need to see games where Dame's looking to get guys guys going. I think guys need to feed off of Dame. And I think once Dame gets going, he's going to draw even more attention for the defense. And then easier looks for Nurk, for DJ, for CJ, for Rocco, uh, Mello, GT. Like everyone's going to get more looks when they're double teaming Dame from damn near half court. So this is the year where I think we need like assertive, aggressive Dame, like, like we saw in the bubble. Um, and I think that's what, what will overcome the lack of chemistry over the course of the first half of the season. And lastly, Sage, do the Blazers just have too many good players? Um, and what do they do with Zach Collins? And what I mean by that is we have a lot of guys who could be getting starters minutes, rotational minutes across many teams uh, around the league, but we we could go 13 14 deep and is that that is that too many most coaches shrink down their rotations to seven eight nine guys in the postseason yes it's i think it's good to have you know a lot of options for a regular season but it's also hard to get the back end of your rotation into a rhythm into a role um i'm specifically looking at a guy like harry giles who i think would play better with a defined role and we saw this with terry stotts when we had you know, Joel Freeland, Myers Leonard, Thomas Robinson, he would yank those guys in and out when nobody could ever get a, a rhythm. I think the same thing could happen with a guy like Anthony Simons. Like, is Gary Trent going to get the minutes that we need him to play? Because there's just other players like Rodney Hood's there too. And like, I don't know, that's just something that I saw. Like, I don't think we have a, a lot of elite players. It's really just Dame. But I, th- I think we have too many good players so do we and what do we where, and this is without zach collins so where does he fit into all of this in a regular season yes we do have too much talent in a covid pandemic season i want as much talented players as i possibly can you don't know what's gonna happen from game to game day to day it is good to have a lot of talent surrounding damian Lillard. we have to ride out some rough patches you can't you can't assume that 72 games of health is going to be for the Blazers, especially with a virus that doesn't give a fuck about the Portland Trail Blazers and their aspirations. So normal season, yeah, we might need to make a trade, but with the uncertainty of 2020, 2021, 
I'm happy as a clam to have too many good players. I think your points are entirely valid. I I, I would just disagree because I, I think we need more top-end talent to win. I think top-end talent just it, it gets it done. And I, I I look at that Gary Trent and Rodney Hood example, like both of those guys are used – well, in Hood's case, he, he's used to starting. Uh, GT's probably going to want to get paid like a starter and played starters minutes in the bubble and produced – Damon CJ are going to have the lion's share minutes at in, in the backcourt. Um, I, I do think the team needs a consolidation trade, especially when you factor in Zach Collins getting back in, in January. Um, I think that throws just a massive wrench into everything. Um, you've got to really manage Melo's minutes because they want to protect his legacy. Um, that that front court just feels incredibly crowded. Um, and so, yes, I, I do agree that it's important to have as much talent during the coronavirus era. However, it's really hard to manage 14 players all saying, coach, I, I need minutes or my touches. I, I need to get in the game. I, how am I supposed to get into a rhythm if I, I, I can't play? Um, it, it's really hard to do. Um, yes, we have a great culture, a great leader. But I think for just the sake of the team and their performance, I, I think they would be better if they could do a three for one. I mean, again, we, we, we talked about not having Zach Collins. We haven't had Nasir Little either. I mean, he's he's out of action. Like Portland has some trade pieces to say, okay, we need one more really good. Like let, let's say there's no top end talent, but you could get like a, a sixth, seventh man to add. Maybe that that's the move. Um, and just really tightening your, your nine man rotation because – Come playoff time, those are your nine guys that you're going to go into battle with game in and game out. I mean, but you mentioned Zach Collins and Harry Giles. Oh, neither one of them have played a full season, dog. Injuries happen. I'm with you. If there's a, a trade that pushes us over the edge, for sure, take it. Don't be Don't be foolish. I don't want to see non-NBA players on this basketball team, bro. Like, I've watched so many games of non-basketball players, non-NBA basketball players, playing real rotation minutes on teams. Give me a team with 12 guys that legitimately deserve to be in this league, and I'll be happy. I also think there's an imbalance. Because especially at center, like, I think Harry and Zach are straight fives. Ennis and Yusuf clearly are. You got four capable centers. Yes, I know we needed depth from last year, but I feel like that's that's overcompensating. Like we need a backup, or at least a third string one. Um, In I, I this guess. specific scenario, I don't think I think Zach can play the four. I don't think Harry can play the four ever, and I don't think Ennis can. But I think Zach Collins, because he can shoot, can play the four. We can't have two non-shooters on the floor at the same time, which means. Ennis and Nurk can never play together. Harry and Nurk probably should never play together. Zach Collins can because he could shoot. So I think Zach actually can have a role on this team as the foreman and and uh, just because of the shooting abilities. I mean, he can okay. shoot. I, I agree. But okay, so let's say we swing Zach to the four. Okay, so then what do you do when you have Covington and Mello slated there? Yes, I know they can play the three. Okay, but let's go to the three. You've got Hood, DJ Che. Well, uh, Hood's going to be on our minutes res- restriction. Then see a little, but but still, like one person might get their feelings hurt. I think it's going to be more than one, and I think that's. I think it won't cause a ruckus, 
um, in the locker room, but I think Portland would be missing out on an opportunity to enhance the, the overall um, talent of the team. Because if you've got players who aren't playing, they're not helping you get better. They're, they're not helping you. Yeah. You can say in practice, they're, they're pushing us, yada, 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 but they're, they're not, but they're bringing talking. energy. Like if they're bringing, there's no fans. The bench yes, has to manufacture yes. the energy. But but in this scenario, if, if I'm saying I have three players who aren't playing or playing very little minutes, but they still have value because of contract, potential, age, positional fit, and I can get a piece that's going to actually come in and play. I mean, you're, you're going from three players that aren't playing or contributing to bringing in somebody that is going to contribute. So that, that's where I'm kind of coming from. Is like, okay, If that we, trade's there, they should take it. Yes. And I, I don't think they should just make a trade to make a trade. But yeah, they can't. They can't just for shits and gigs trade three players for someone. They can't trade three players for Garrett Temple. But you know, we're, we're look. We talked about it. The roster could look significantly different next year. Like, is Portland going to have to make a decision between Gary Trent Jr. and CJ McCollum? Because if you have Gary Trent Jr. getting an Allen Crab bag, that's like 16, 17. Can you have that player coming off your bench? I don't think so. I think that's too much money to come off your bench. Okay, so then do you move GT to the three? And then doubt my DJ is going to be super stoked about having to come off the bench um, after signing a, a mid-level with Portland. So this is why this season, there's just so many layers to it. And I think it's important not to make knee-jerk reactions, but to also know that each game is magnified much more than it would be over the course of a regular season. Isn't it like 1.2 more percent, like 1.2 more than a game in a regular season or like 1.1? I mean, like Portland's going to have to to look at it. And I mean, they have to know what, what Trent is looking for. They've had to have explored those those conversations. Mm. Um, You don't want to lose Zach Collins for nothing either. so the, it's it's just I wouldn't want to be in Neil O'Shea's shoes. I wouldn't want to be in Terry Stotts' shoes. Sage, I've been playing two K, um, and I feel bad be- when I don't get players in the game. Like I try to play a fourteen man rotation. It's so You're hard. Too nice, bro. You need to You're not play as the Blazers. It's so hard. I can't imagine what, what what Terry's gonna gonna. That that's why I, I asked that question. And I I think it's tough. Like I I think the Blazers need a consolidation trade. Um, and would that be for a backup point guard? Best player available. I, I think I don't think you're getting anybody that's gonna unless you're trading for James Harden, you're not gonna get anybody that's gonna crack that starting unit. So I think you just go for the best player available and and you roll with your top nine guys. Like these are our top nine. I'd sure love to get another playmaker though. I think we do need another ball handler. It doesn't have to be a point guard, but it has to be a ball handler, somebody who can initiate an offense, somebody who you feel comfortable bringing up against pressure. Um, because if, if Simons is, is hurt long-term or if the hamstring lingers, you know, knock on wood, it doesn't, uh, if Dame or CJ gets into foul trouble, who's your other ball handler? It's not on the roster. It so, is not, no. So that, yeah, they definitely need that. I think they need another defensive minded player, another veteran. Um, I don't think Neil O'Shea needs to take any more swings at the, the Thomas Robinson or Hazonias or the Harklesses of the world, you know, lottery picks that didn't really pan out. Like we need a, a tried and true veteran player where the floor and the ceiling are pretty similar. Like there's, you know, we need a ceiling razor, not a floor razor. All right. Do you have another question? 
that was my five. And I think, okay. you know, we, we got through a lot. It's a long podcast, but it's our season preview. Uh, season starts Wednesday. I'm extremely excited. And, you know, we'll be back. Regular episodes, probably every Sunday night, Sage. Every Sunday night. Me and you, baby. Um, we'll bring back the prediction game. Uh, you kicked my ass royally last year, so you got to defend that crown. I know, man. I got to be like the Lakers and defend my crown. You're not no, taking my crown with my defend crown. Fuck that. Get out of here with that. You're not taking my crown with my head still attached to it. It's probably a rap lyric, but I don't know. Yep. If anyone, if anyone tweets me that uh, that reference, you get a hundred cool points. Um. <laughs> Our podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, uh, Tuesdays, 2 to 3 Pacific, 4 to 5 Eastern, and we'll be back with regular episodes soon. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!